We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. All right, hey, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? You're excited to come and worship a living God that's alive and breathing and active and doing a work and meeting needs and changing lives? Are you excited to worship that Jesus, that God, that Savior, the one who meets and saved us and restored us and and changed us? Amen? Amen. So I'm excited about the things of God. I'm excited about Jesus. Uh, uh, Real quick, I'm just going to do a little bit preliminary thing here. Uh, So I have some roots to this church to some degree that you may not realize about. No, for some of you, this is your first time ever seeing my face. So you're probably wondering, how does he have roots to Redemption Church, right? So a real quick history lesson. Clyde and Chris were the ones who won me to Jesus. At, at the age of 15, they met this, this guy who was just hungry and looking for change and wanted something different in life and was looking for purpose and looking for something to be fulfilled with. And they introduced me to this Jesus. And while I had some kind of a background to some degree in church, but the Jesus they introduced me to changed my life. That Jesus molded me, sculpted me, led me changed me, gave me purpose, gave me passion. And so I am forever indebted to the Fluid family for how they loved me. Because what people don't realize is this passion and this zeal that you see was forged in six o'clock in the morning prayer meetings with them, six o'clock in the evening prayer meetings with them. They didn't force me to go. They just said they're going to start doing prayer. And I said, I want to be a part of that. And I got to see God do some things in my life that we had only talked about. I can't tell you the countless hours that I spent at Clyde's house in Waco, sitting in their, in their living room, sitting in Chris's room, talking about scripture and praying and seeking the face of God. So I am forever indebted by their love for just the things of God and soul. So if you're wondering how I'm connected here, that's just a short abridged version of how that happened. So I'm indebted to these people. So we serve a wonderful God, and I am indebted. And that same Jesus that they introduced me to allowed me to meet my beautiful wife here who's with, here with me today, my wife Amy, and then our three beautiful kids that we have, my oldest, Jesslyn, my middle child, Anaya, and then my son who just went back to the back, and I hope he found his place because he just went walking off, and I don't think he knew where he was going. So uh, we're just going to wish on a star and hope he made it, all right? So, <laughs> and that's my son, Levi. He is my eight-year-old. He is my mini-me. He is me made over except for a little bit more tender-hearted. He's more like his mama in that regard. So, um, so my, my scripture today, my, my text, uh, that I'm, my title, more or less, is going to be, uh, What Are We Living For? That's going to be the title of my message today. All right, and I'm going to pray. I don't have a proof text to pull from, but if you would just bear with me today and let me just bear my heart and what I feel that God's given me. Um, is that okay? Is that okay if I just bear my heart? All right, I feel like God gave me something And I want to bear that with you today. So we're going to pray right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. Your word is ever anointed. We thank you, God, for what you have given us. We thank you that you are moving in this place. We thank you for the work you're doing here at Plano. God, I pray that you would anoint my lips. I pray that you would anoint their hearts and their ears to receive the word. Let me speak, God, and let me not belabor the point, but God, let me just deliver what you have simply given to me. And let me weigh it out back to you as you've given it to me. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, 
Some of us live our lives to be comfortable, right? Comfort is not a bad thing. Um, we see people who have their goals and their ambitions in life is to be more comfortable in a lot of ways than how they, uh, how they grew up. My upbringing was not the most glamorous. I can tell you stories that uh, from the age of nine to 16 that me and my mother shared a one bedroom home, right? So you can understand that why I serve this God that I serve because he took everything and he changed everything around for me. Some people like to be famous. Some people want fortune. Some people live their lives just genuinely just to be happy. Their focus is to be happy. Some live a life of gratitude. They just want to be grateful. That's all they want to live their life. They just walk through the life aimlessly, just grateful for everything that has happened to them. And then some people live their lives to be great. See, we know that God is a ruler of all things and he lives outside of space and time. He is not limited by those things. He is not limited by any of the circumstances or resources that we count valuable. For he, Lord of all and God all in all. For he is flawless. Amen? He is flawless. He is perfect. He is holy. He is true. We know that according to Ezekiel 18 and 4, that all souls are God's and that the soul that sins will die. We know that man is fallen. We know that man has a nature that is immoral, not holy, ungodly. No man is perfect. It began one dreadful moment that changed the course of human history. Man was given a choice to do it God's way and have life eternal, or do it their own way, which would lead to condemnation and death. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt, eat, shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis 3 and 6, it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she kind of stumbled onto that, well, I wonder what would happen if she lived a life of supposing, right? The life that she was reaching for was not a life that was going to be God-led, Spirit-led, not a life that was going to be built in communion or intimacy with God, but on a supposed hyperbole kind of viewpoint of a, well, what would happen if? This tree seems to be wise. She decided in that moment that maybe how God had told her to do it was maybe not the best way after all. And so she decided to take of the fruit thereof, and she did eat it. And she gave it also unto her husband who was with her. And he did eat of it. See, there's a perspective to living life on your own terms. Do what you want and satisfy your own heart's desire. But no one speaks about the consequences of your actions in the following of this ideology. 
Everybody is big about follow your heart, follow your dreams, do what you want. And no one is there to say, hey, before you make this decision, maybe you should think this through. Proverbs 14 and 12 says this, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, there's an irony about life. It keeps going. No matter what you do about it, no matter how hard you try not to, it just keeps moving. And if you are not careful, it will pass you by. Kind of deviating from my notes here for a minute. Kind of going a little carnal here, forgive me. There's a, a songwriter by the name of John Mayer who has this song called Stop This Train. I don't know if you've ever heard of that song. Maybe you haven't. I am not, not trying to be secular or carnal. But the song was about life and how he wishes that he could just get it to slow down. And that he had a conversation with his dad and his dad says, no matter what you do, you can't stop this train. See, and if you have kids like me, right, one of which who's a teenager, right, who's already graduated high school, well, I have two of my, I just realized I have two teenagers, man, so I have two teenagers, right, you can still remember them being toddlers, you still remember them being infants, you still remember holding them, and you remember that feeling you had when you realized, I have never loved someone as much as this. But then here's the thing about this. Time, dare I say life, seems to be moving at an uncanny pace. See, I remember looking at those babies and holding them. And now I'm about to send one off to college. See, time moves at a pace that I can't control. I don't have any governance over how this moves and how this operates. James pins it like this in James chapter 4, verse 14. He says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Literally, we live our lives and guess what? The goal is to make a mark and then guess what? But if you really look at the span of time, we're really just kind of a speck in this timeline. However, what you do does matter. It does have impact. So I have a question. How many of us are truly living our lives for Jesus and his kingdom? We give our efforts to all these other things. Please understand me. I'm about to list off some things and I'm not bashing it. Athletics, vacations, relationships, making memories, and even our jobs and other things of this world. However, do we really, do we give the short end of that to the kingdom of God? Please understand, I'm not here bashing that. I love athletics. If you understand me, if you know me, if you get to know me, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I love sports. I am a basketball guy. That's my thing. I, I enjoy that. But man, let me tell you something. When I met this Jesus, things changed for me a little bit. I had an uncle, my uncle James, who is now living for God. You talk about like living a life of testimony. Who, Filled with the Holy Ghost and living for God, right? He, told, he moved to Austin when I was about 13 years of age. He moved back to Waco when I was 18. You know what he said to me? He said, I kept checking the papers to see you in the papers for basketball. And I said, Uncle, something happened at about the age of 15 that basketball 
decided that it, I decided the basketball wasn't the priority, that Jesus and his kingdom was. See, here's the thing. Do we focus on our own agenda, our own lives, our own will? So please understand, like I said, I'm not against any of that stuff I just listed. Please make memories. Live your life. That's a good thing to have. I love that me and my wife have gotten a chance to literally every summer that we've been married have been able to take some type of a trip and go somewhere. We've made memories. I love it. Make memories. Live life. But focus it and funnel it through Jesus. But if we are honest with ourselves, we know what our lives really revolve around. If you really stop for a minute and assess, you can look at your life and go, am I really giving this what I should be giving this? You know if Jesus is really first and if he's centered on this. See, understand this. When I got in this thing, I met people who lived it. They lived it and I wanted what they had. I saw people who prayed earnestly, passionately, who read their Bibles, who lived it, who witnessed the people. We go out and eat. They serve. They love people. I saw it. Please understand something. I know that this topic may not seem very comfortable when I'm coming in, right? He's the guest preacher. It's like, who is this guy coming in and talking to us about this kind of thing? And please understand, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not trying to do that. I want to help you. I'm trying to encourage you. But here's the question. What are you living for? What are we living for? What are we focused on? This is what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. He says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life eternal. God is looking for people who are interested in doing it his way and trusting him with their lives. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Listen to me. He's not sitting here and just looking at you and waiting for you to fail and just kind of letting you give me a chance to do it on your own. No, that's not the God we serve. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Now, I know we made this point about how this was in the New Testament, right? So it's easy to kind of pull that point. Well, that's New Testament, Terrell. So, like, what are you, that's a different kind of thing. But let's see what the Old Testament talks about that and see how it mirrors it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 through 20. Moses is writing here, and this is what he says. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land that the Lord swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And here we are again. We're back at that tree. You got a choice to choose a life or to choose death. 
King Solomon writing, and he is known in Scripture as the wisest man to have ever lived, blessed and highly favored of the Lord God Almighty. God's hand was on him, and he made a, de- a, de- a declaration in what he said. He said, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, chasing after nothing. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is potentially the richest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived. And he's saying, I've done it all. I've lived it. I've had all the fun. I've done all the things. I have seen it all. And guess what? I gave myself to it. And guess what? I gained nothing. Nothing came of it. Nothing was gained from this thing. I gave myself. He says, I literally withheld myself from nothing. He spoke so freely in this. He acknowledged the sowing into his carnal ways and doing things his own way, especially as king. Who's going to tell the king that this is not the way to do it? If you love your life, you won't. If you love your life, you're not going to walk up and say, so Solomon, so like I noticed how you've been doing stuff recently. And I feel like maybe, hear me out, put the ax down, I don't need a judgment. Maybe, maybe you chasing after all this stuff is not the will of God. See, he did all that and realized it was for nothing. See, there was no gain in it. Understand this, he worked, brokered deals. He lived life, collected riches. Anyone here would desire to have. I'm going to be honest with you. I would love, Lord Jesus, stop by here and drop them lotto numbers. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I am a tither. I very much am. I'm a giver. I do. So, Lord, by all means, I would love to have Solomon's riches. But listen to me. In the process of all of this, he realized it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. He acknowledges that, guess what? It was all for himself. And it provided no gain. Listen, this is after the fact to look back and go, that's the perspective. That's the perspective. But you ready for this? I have a remedy for this. Jesus. Jesus is the remedy for this. You are not hopeless. You aren't disposable. You hear me? Do you understand? You are not disposable. You are precious. You are loved. You are valued. You hold meaning. Here is the life to have. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the same was in the the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. This wasn't any just type of normal life. It was not plain. It wasn't mundane. It wasn't just ordinary. It was supernatural. It was pure. It was holy. This was eternal life. And that life was the light of men. He is perfect, flawless. In him, there is no darkness. Pilate said it like this. I'm going to quote him as best as I can in Luke 23 and 24. He says this, I find no fault in him. This Jesus, he is precious. He is worthy. He is holy and he is life. John wrote it another way in 1 John chapter 5 and 20. He says it like this, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, that we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It is Jesus. It has always been Jesus. He is the true God and he is the eternal life. He is the light of all the world. He is the light of men. Your life was not meant to be tethered to these other things outside of him. Your life should flow from him. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, I am come, that they may have life. He came that we may have a life, and not just life, but have it, what? More abundantly. I hope you're hearing me today, and I hope you feel where I'm coming from with this. In John chapter 15 and 13, he said this. He said that greater love has no man than this. That he will lay down his life for his friends. You see, for us to have a chance at this eternal life, he had to give up his life. See, there's a beauty laden in the fact that we see typologies and shadows in the Old Testament of the life of Jesus. And while we understand that the mistakes that we saw from fallen man in the Old Testament, there's one thing I want to point out to you very clearly here. When Eve sinned, Adam had a choice. He had a choice to say, I'm going to partake of this or I'm going to reject this. Now, we can easily look at the story from this perspective. Man, Adam, why would you do such a thing? You got to understand, in Psalm chapter 8, it talks about that it says, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you would visit as him, that you would crown him in honor and glory, right? That's talking about the creation account. It's talking about how in the beginning of it all, mankind was robed draped in the glory and the honor of God. And then 
Sin happened, and guess what? No more. We got to find fig leaves and cover up. And Adam did so when he looked up on his wife and saw that she took of the fruit and realized you don't look the same anymore. You don't look like the Eve that was made from my side. And he went and took of the fruit because he loved her and ate of the fruit. Can I tell you what that depicts to me? A beautiful picture of a fallen world that a God who is almighty in all that he does looked at and said, this is not the world I originally created, but I am going to come in flesh and I'm going to partake of their sin and be like them and take on their transgression. So he came and laid down his life because there is no greater love than a man would lay down his life for his friend. Hear me, Jesus, once again, he's the life. And he came to give you life. Life eternal. He is the resurrection and he is the life. That though we were dead, well, guess what? You're alive in him. And Jesus wants to be your life. You are the apple of his eye. You are the, uh, the object of his affection. You know, when I was a kid and I was spending all this time at your house, Clyde, I remember we would talk about the book of Acts. Y'all, I would look at the book of Acts and those guys were superhuman to me. I'm like, they did what? And said, what? To who? And when? And then we had a conversation one day, and I don't know if you remember this, Clyde, you said they were ordinary men. And I went, well, if they could do that, and what could I do if I gave myself to him? You see, God wants to give your life purpose, meaning, fulfillment. And in doing so, he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and baptize you with it. This is what Isaiah says. This is the beautiful thing about Isaiah. This is what it says. Isaiah 55 and 1. It says, hope everyone that thirsteth. Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What he is giving you, you can't give something in return for it. Just come. Just come. You're invited. You are invited. You can't broker a deal good enough. You can't come up with a strategy, strategy smart enough. You couldn't look him up and come up with a plan that you can execute and, make him, and persuade him. He's saying, come. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have riches or resources. You don't have to come from legacy. You don't have to come from, from history. You don't have to have some type of a lineage in this thing to come and be a part of it. Just come. Jesus echoed the very same thing in the New Testament in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. In the last day, 
that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of a living water. He wants to give you rivers of living water. That is the eternal life. It is him, his spirit, his passion, his purpose flowing through you, in you, filling you up and overflowing in you. We go back to the Old Testament. Jeremiah, in writing about the Babylonian captivity, pins this. We know this verse. We see it in people's homes. You walk in, it's, it, 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 some degree, it's kind of become cliche, but this is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. This is in the ESV. And not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He doesn't want you halfway. Jesus didn't die for us halfway. He didn't come and live a partially holy life halfway. He didn't, he wasn't buried partially. He didn't resurrect partially. He gave his all. God is not clamoring for you to fail. He's not on his throne like some evil kids back in the day. We take uh, microscopes and, and with ants and try to see if we can get the sun to fry them. That's not how God is looking at you. He's not trying to watch you fall and fail. He's literally, he's gracious He's a gracious father with his arms stretched wide, waiting for you to come to him and make him the center of it all. Let Jesus be the center. Let the blessings of God be funneled through you. View and centered your life focused on Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 I'm sorry, Matthew 11 and 28. This is what Jesus says. This is a cry that he's saying. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of us have felt the, the, the heaviness of life? You know, there's something they don't tell you about when you become an adult. Everything gets harder. Everything. I look back and go, man, you know, life wasn't so bad when I was living at home. Life just seemed to be good and plenteous and, man, I didn't have to worry about no bills. I didn't I'd say, I'll walk to the refrigerator and got food whenever I want to. I mean, I do that now, but in the, but in the sense of in my mom's home, I could go whenever, but guess what? Man, life hits you and it gets hard and it gets heavy. And guess what? No one makes it out alive. No one does. 
You can thank Adam and Eve for that later in heaven. You can have that conversation in if you choose to do so. But I think that we're going to be enamored with the glory of God, so you won't have time for that. So I'm almost done. I won't, I'm not going to be very long, so y'all can start coming back up. I'm about to finish this up. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him and he with me. Jesus wants to have this thing with you. It is precious. This walk with him is precious. It is life giving. It is not life draining. Living life without him is draining. It is tiring. It is burdening. But with Jesus, he wants to sit and talk and sup and learn and commune with you and have intimacy with you. I hope, I'm not trying to belabor this point. I just want you to understand that how much this Savior loves you and what he wants and what he wants to have with you. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said this, where your heart is, there will also be your treasure. Or where your treasure is, there will also be your heart. I'm sorry. You put stock in those things, and guess what? That's where your heart is. You put stock in the kingdom, your heart is there. I met people at 15, and their heart was, guess what? It was in kingdom matters kingdom endeavors. I am here because people said he will be my light. He will be my life. He will be my guide. He will be my God. The psalmist said it so beautifully like this. He said, oh, taste and see. This is Psalm 34 and 8. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I'm going to end it with this very last setting of scripture, and then I'll let you guys pick up and play from there. I hope that I have been able to bless you. I hope I've been able to, to encourage you. I want you to understand that it is Jesus is the whole focal point of all of this, that it's literally him. He wants to be centered. He wants to love on you, and he wants your life to flow from him. He is the sustainer. I can look back over my life and I can see in every season his hand was in it because I decided to trust him and to give it all to him. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of life. Clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. There is a river that flows. It flows from the very throne. He wants to have this with you, to give you this river, this life. He wants you to, be, to come and to be filled with life. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Give 
him your life. I call heaven and earth before you this day. You can have life or death. Choose life. Choose life that the Lord your God will bless you and keep you and sustain you and make your life better than you could have ever imagined it to be. For better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Lord bless you. For information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.